Hi, and welcome to the Virtual Classroom Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Ring, and I'm so glad you're here. In the Virtual Classroom, I invite virtual teachers from across the country to sit down and talk to all of us about what it's like to be a virtual teacher. It is my hope that through our conversations, we can educate, collaborate, and of course, connect to build a tribe of virtual teachers. Thanks again so much for being here. Today on the podcast, we have Becky Fisher, who's a special education teacher for her high school and mainly focusing on ELA. She's at Idaho Virtual Academy. And guys, she has over 12 years of experience in the virtual school. I know I can't be the only one that can't, I just can't wait to have that much experience to be that at that level of an expert as a virtual teacher. So she reminded me during this conversation that yes, our students have needs and yes, we need to be focusing on those. And yes, we need to be putting our students first and trying to get that one year's growth, right? But Becky also reminded me that it's also about the whole child and we need to know and understand their gifts and talents so that way we can support their needs. So go ahead and give a little round of applause and wherever you're at for Becky Fisher. Without further ado, here she is. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Becky Fisher. Uh, I live in Northern Idaho, just outside of Spokane, and I work for uh, one of the K-12 schools, Idaho Virtual Academy here in Idaho. And I pre previously worked for Agora Cyber Charter School in Pennsylvania, which was also another K-12 school. Uh, I'm a special education teacher. I have taught, uh, I think this is my 17th year and 12th year in online education in the virtual community. So I'm super excited to be here and talk special education and anything else. And I'm also a mom of four children and my oldest is, this is his first year, uh, uh, doing online school as well. So it's been kind of fun to see it from a parent's perspective or a learning coach's perspective as well. Yeah, I can't, I get that question a lot is because I have a five-year-old and uh -huh. he's in kindergarten. So technically he could come to our school, kindergarten through 12, and they're like, why don't, why doesn't, why doesn't he go there? And I'm like, well, because I teach there. Like there's no way, right? there's just, there's no, no way as a kindergarten I could I could do what I do and, and, and then be, he would need my attention like so much. And then right. furthermore, he's the kind of kid that won't listen. Like, like if I was a <laughs> oh, teacher, he would not listen to me. So, <laughs> and well, I have to say, cause my, my son is in middle school. My other ones are, I have two in elementary. They go to our local school and then I have a three-year-old, but yes, middle school, he's a little more independent. I could not do this K through five. And I have to admit there are still sometimes we have tears going on and a little, uh, conflict between us because it's hard. It's hard to be a parent and also that learning coach. So I yeah, get it. I, but I, I said, if, if, and when, if he does want to like start learning virtually, because right now he does. And I think I may have mentioned this before. Sorry to my listeners, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, you know, he is wanting to be an astronaut. And so oh, there, and he's five, I realize that may change, but, um, He's pretty serious about it, and I and I'm running with it, talking about how, you know, these sight words he's learning right now are going to help him be an astronaut because he's going to have to know how to read, and, and he's very motivated by that. But 
there might be a day where virtual learning might be more beneficial for him so that way he can if if he is serious about training and being a part of stuff so like maybe when middle school maybe when he's in middle school yeah (laughs) and I think you know and there's things he definitely misses from the regular public school here um but honestly it's really taught my son how to learn independently and to work on those executive functioning skills like planning and organizing and things like that. So it's been a really good experience in that regards because it's, it's an area he's still learning in. So it's been kind of fascinating to see it from that perspective of, okay, go learn and do it on your own. So knowing that you are a learning coach for middle school, and so it's going to be definitely different for an elementary kid who needs a lot more attention but what would you still want teachers to know who are like me? I'm ignorant. I don't know what it's like to be a learning coach. I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid of it, but right. awareness is key. So what, what would be something that you'd want teachers just to be aware of for students and learning coaches that we just might not be aware of? No, that's a great question. Uh, One thing, and again, this is my 12th year in online schooling, and I've always thought to myself previously, is why can't they get their work done every day? Like, they're at home, they have all day to do it, Um, but I work. I work eight hours a day, and most of our parents do work, especially when those kids are in the secondary schools, and, you know, sometimes I have to say, hey, you got to wait until I'm done working in order to be able to help you with whatever question you have but then the day's over and I'm tired (laughs) I don't always want to help them in that in that aspect and uh or we have things going on that evening so sometimes he gets things in one or two days late so there are um one thing I've noticed and I've noticed it with my own students my students who have individualized education plans is some of these assignments uh bring out some fear and some anger and some other behaviors as well, just because it's hard for them. They're easily frustrated. Um, My own son, he's a great student, and he's been very blessed in that area where academic and learning is is a strength of his. But when it comes to writing assignments or maybe some other projects where he has to reflect, he immediately shuts down. And so I have to take that time at some point in my day, which may not be that day, of course, um, to be able to work with through those behaviors, work through his fear or his just not able to think uh, through the project and be able to get him that consistent or what am I trying to say, that path to where he can submit that assignment. So I think just understanding that, you know, we have daily lives, we have emotions, um, you know, it's okay to get things in a day or two or three days late, because they usually on the other end are working hard, but it's a, it's a family, education's a family event when they're schooling at home, so that's been kind of a good wake-up call for me this year. That's really interesting, and it's, it's, it's kind of hitting the nail on the head for me, because I have I don't know what it's like in other schools, but in our school, some of our, and maybe I'll talk about this, um, but I'm not, I, even though I've been teaching for eight years, special education is still like, I, I, I know I haven't dived deep into its world. So I, I'm aware of um, the levels of most restricted environment mm-hmm. and my kids who are in direct instruction 
also goes to small groups. So they're in class for over two hours a day, live sessions, and then they have to do their online courses and they're mm-hmm. on essential lessons. Like I take out the lessons that are non-essential, but even then I still feel like it's too much. Like, cause they're yeah. still, they're working really hard in their, in their live sessions or they're not going to their live sessions because it's too much because they also have to do their online work or they're not mm-hmm. doing online work. It's just like, I can't find the balance and, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm struggling with it and I don't really have the power, <laughs> but maybe yeah. you have some insight that I might be able to help my kids. So what do you do whenever you have maybe students that, that like, are like that and have those fears and struggle with doing those lessons? Yeah, definitely. And that's a great question. I think one thing to keep in mind and my heart goes out to the students. So often we're just focusing on their weaknesses or needs, as we call it in the special education world. Um, So they're doing reading or math and writing, and that's all their focus. And so many of these students have such amazing strengths and talent outside of those three areas or academics. I've had students, and I teach high school, so it's a little bit different. And I teach four sections of English, so it's more that resource-based level. But they are amazing painters. They're amazing in drama, sports. A lot of them can take a car apart and put it back together. Um, They just are very hands-on learners a lot of time. So when it comes to uh, looking at those lessons, I mean, I think the first thing is keep in mind, we just keep looking at their needs, you know, and it's not fun. So really spending three hours a day just learning something that's hard for you is really exhausting for the mind. Um, but with my classes, because I do teach those four English classes, um, I try to do some of that curriculum instruction within that class and then they can go do their lesson for the day so I cut down that lesson and again I don't know if you can do that in K through 5 but let's look at author's purpose really hound in author's purpose during our live instruction our small groups and then on their own they could do some of that independent work or some of the few things I give them to be prepared for the next day do they always complete it no but it's just kind of keeping in mind how to differentiate maybe they don't have to do that whole lesson like if you're working on writing let's work for a month on that darn introduction and get that down really well so we're doing it that step by step so again I know every school is different but if you have that capacity to just be like you know what don't forget rest of the lesson just focus on the introduction if you're writing then we'll add on to that when we see mastery towards that. Did I answer your question? Yeah, and I kind of had an epiphany while you were talking because I know during direct instruction, they are allowed to, if it's math, they can they can just mark it as complete or take the quiz and, and that's it or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have an epiphany for those small group lessons, at least for reading. What if I use, like, I thought, what if I just use their science or their... Mm-hmm history you know like what if I use those passages and then say you know what you're we we did this (laughs) you learned about this using the reading skills which is exactly what I did in a traditional school so I don't know why I'm just now having this thought so but you definitely brought that out of me so I think I'm gonna start doing that next week so I really appreciate everything you just said because that really that really helped me so so yeah I think 
I think that's fantastic because a big part of students learning in general is just being able to connect, make those connections to either what they've learned or currently learning, as well as how that is insightful for their lives. How does that relevant to their lives? So if we take science, if we take history, we work on those reading skills within there. Um, I, those are nonfiction. So looking at that main idea, supporting details, and then use those writing skills uh, that we're trying to get them to do, like an introduction or the body or cause and effect, whatever way, then you're still teaching that reading and, and writing skills. In science, bring in that math. Uh, so we're, we're bridging everything together to see, make them see how it's relevant. How do I need to have those reading skills? How do I need to look at those text features, which we may learn about in reading, but that does apply to science and history because of, I mean, that's what we're looking at. That's nonfiction. And so I think that really helps when the students make those connections and find how relevant it is to their own lives. Absolutely. And eye-opening to me so I don't know why my eyes are just now opening to this but I'm really like I'm excited I'm excited about being able to support these kids a bit more make their lives maybe a little bit less stressful and less scary as you mentioned yeah, um, because I'll be the one walking them through it and so they're not just coming into my class and then going to do that in addition and by themselves yeah. so well, I think one of the things with teaching kids um, who are, have special needs or exceptional needs, as I tell them, they learn exceptionally in a different way, is uh, when you look at their individualized education plan or their IEP, and their, it depends on what state you're in, but reevaluation or their eligibility report, it gives the educational diagnosis of where they are qualified for for special education. So... Uh, do they split it? I can't remember, but usually they're around 13 uh, ways you can qualify for special education. I think they may have split up speech and language into two different ones. But you've got your high incidence, which is specific learning disability, students with autism, uh, other health impairment, which does cover ADHD or other health concerns. Um, and every state calls things a little bit different, but you have your emotional needs, so depression, anxiety. Um, in high school, I've dealt with, or I've had students with bipolar, schizophrenia, a whole bunch of issues going on there. Uh, but it really does, it is important to look at those medical diagnosis or the eligible or educational diagnosis and that can also direct you on how to teach that student so students with autism um, a lot of them not all because no child's the same but a lot of them have a hard time with that inferential thinking uh, reading between those lines uh, organization a lot of students with autism as well as other health impairment with ADHD with their writing or looking at the organization within their those assignments so that's something as well as a teacher we should be looking at and there's specific accommodations or modifications we can make for each of those disabilities to help those students uh, be successful so most of my students and i'm assuming most most of our students at least in elementary world it seems like every one of my students who has an iep not all of them but it seems like the majority of them have a learning disability mm -hmm. or ADHD, what would be your biggest advice to us as their teachers in our live sessions when they're working with us? How can we best support them in a virtual world? 
That's a great question. Um, so with specific learning disability, that typically means that their, their processes in their brain work differently. As, and this also has to do with ADHD too. Um, but typically we're looking at their executive functioning skills. And so this can, in other areas, but this can uh, cover their working memory. So how well that they can take what they're learning and keep it in their brain until they can apply it to a, a, an assignment basically. Um, their processing speed, which is how fast can they respond? How fast is their brain learning that material? There's also, those are the two biggest ones I always look at, but there's also language. And so some students uh, and with the SLD or they may have a language deficit, is there either understanding vocabulary may be different if they just don't have those skills and there's other areas as well. But keeping in mind with students with SLD is they need a longer time to process typically. They also need a long um, helps like making lists or writing down specific steps because their memory won't hold it in there as well. Uh, a lot of our students also with dyslexia, it's not necessarily and dyslexia falls under a specific, specific learning disability, sorry. And there's also dysgraphia and dyscalculia, which is writing and, and uh, math as well. But they just, their brain interprets those letters or those sounds differently or those numbers differently. Um, so um, there's so many strategies, sorry, I'm just trying to calm my brain down. But I think the biggest thing is to slow down a lot of your sessions, making sure that the students have that understanding before you move on. And I know that's diff difficult if you have a, a class with mixed abilities, um, but giving them a longer time to respond or giving them some, like break down the, the steps very specifically. First you do this. And once you see mastery with that, then you add on to the other one. If you give them like three steps too quickly, they may forget step number two. Um, with ADHD, a lot of that as well has that working memory and processing deficits, but they also, um, it's like their brain's just constantly going, so they're not quite sure where to focus, and so using sometimes keywords like, I need you to listen to this, or if you can do anything through movement, and again, I'm not I've never taught K through five, I'm, I'm more high school. I've did a few, a little bit of middle school face to face, um, but trying to bring in some movement, like, okay, make the letter A with your body. And then you can use a webcam or talk with the learning uh, coach with them. So having opportunities for movement and then have opportunities for breaks, like, like let their brain rest for a minute. Say, okay, 30 seconds, get up and do five jumping jacks or whatever it may be um, can definitely help. The extended time for both of those areas is, is a big thing as well. Yeah, and that's something that I struggle with because I'm, I'm a testing grade and my classes are only 30 minutes long. <laughs> so yes, um, I feel like I have to jam so much into this small jar. And it's it's just, so hard. Mine are 30 it, minutes too. It's very overwhelming. <laughs> It's like, uh, this isn't enough, but then at the same time, it's almost, it's like, it's perfect because these kids are only with me for 30 minutes. So it's like, mm -hmm. I just need your attention for 30 minutes and then you're out of here. Like, yeah. and then you're done. And, like, 
But what's hard is some of those little ones cannot even hold still for like three minutes. Keeping their attention yes. is so hard. My husband's thing, a counselor and he's, oh. um, in a, and he's in a school setting and he's like, my kid today couldn't even like sit still for this really cool pencil that like, I forget what it was. There's something this kid really wanted and uh, he couldn't do it. Like he could not sit still and oh. <laughs> like long enough <laughs> to do kid. it. And I was like, poor baby. But, oh, that's so hard. Yeah, but I, I think, have a kid who's, sorry, I don't, but I have a kid no, who's, keep like, going. he's always, he's always somewhere, like, he's, mm -hmm. he's, like, carrying his laptop around every time he's on the webcam, he's somewhere, and wandering <laughs> around, and, and I'm cool with it, because I know, like, I, I know, you know, the other kids don't know, they're not seeing him right now, but I know that he, he needs to do that. Otherwise mm -hmm. he won't be able to focus on what I'm doing. Like if I ask him to sit still, he won't be able to, because mine will be walking around somewhere. And oh, so definitely. I'd rest my other's feet walking around somewhere. I so love that so much. <laughs> well, and there's so many cool tools that parents can buy or learning coaches can buy. There's things that you can tie onto the bottom of your chair and they can kick it while they're listening. I mean, there's squeeze balls, there's the fidget spinners, which I know are not as popular because everyone was like, woohoo, let me take them to school. But those definitely, if they can keep a part of their body moving sometimes, it can help them focus. So, or there's some sensory devices like, uh, and this definitely helps students with autism as well. It's like a heavy weighted blanket that they can lay on themselves. Um, there's different textures of things that maybe they could rub that may help them uh, keep focused as well so there's just there's a lot of cool stuff out there and again I don't know at all I, and I work with the older kids as well so for the little ones I'm not as attuned to exactly what could help a five-year-old or a seven-year-old um, well you're, you're still reminding me of all these things I'm like okay. why didn't I make a list of these things to give them to my family it's like Yes, you can buy a TheraBand at your lo local Walmart. Yes. yes, you can buy a, like one of those balls, like a medicine, not a medicine ball, but uh -huh. you know what I'm talking about. And yep. they can use that to sit on. And, and yeah, the heavy blanket. Now they sell those at Walmart. Like all these things yes. that you're talking about, they're at Walmart. <laughs> so they're like no, easily so accessible and, and um, affordable too. So they yeah, keep are. going. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Well, and there's also screen overlays of different colors that can help with some of that processing. Yeah, where can you get those? Like, you know, I've only found them online. You can get them on Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Yeah, I haven't found it. I mean, I don't live in a huge community like I used to, so I'm not even sure where I, I don't have any educational stores, but you definitely can buy them online. And I know a blue one is a, is a really good one. And the blue um, one helps dyslexia what does that help with again dyslexia to, yeah and then what are some of the other ones like is there more than one screen and you know all... I've seen them but I I think it depends on this on the student on the child okay. and so they can try to see which one may be the best for them I even heard about the specific font I forgot what it was I meant to look it up more that someone um an adult with dyslexia invented to help yeah help dyslexia font yeah, I've well, used it. <laughs> um, I've used it when um, my when I gave Dibbles when I taught third grade. Uh huh. And Dibbles is an oral reading fluency, and they couldn't read the they couldn't read it. So they're so, and they only had one minute to read this passage, so yes. they couldn't read it. So I went through and and just retyped all of the stories that I would be administering in that font, and it really helped. 
So, oh, good. Um, and it's, it's free for parents, <laughs> and, yes. but it's not free for teachers. So I just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> you're a parent right <laughs> yes I'm a parent <laughs> but no, now they're gonna see me <laughs> or no I'm, not at all I, I mean just trying to help a student darn it um you know just to go back to the concern too about how to uh get everything in one thing because I I'm struggling with my own students in a way is like they forget things I mean teenagers and children forget things anyway but, but you know they need a lot of reinforcement a lot of repetition um so i'm starting to this this year my goal one of my goals was is to make a whole bunch of videos as if like they missed a class and upload them to youtube so i can just send them the link so hey you got to remember what characterization is or narrator is here you go oh and there's so many amazing math strategies as well um, for multiplication and division that I just learned about a few years ago in a training where, you know, typically we, I think most of us learned the long division or the, I don't know, the long way to do multiplication, but there's so many cool different ways. I think there was like 12 different ways to teach multiplication now, um, which includes that lattice. <laughs> yeah. What's all. that? Yeah. <laughs> I need all of those ways. That's yeah. exactly my world right now is long yeah. division and multiplication. So I need all of them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I love it. There's an area, I'm trying to remember what it's called. I haven't uh, done math too much lately, but there's an area square model, I believe. It is so fun. I was like, this yeah, is amazing. Yeah, we taught that one. And oh, good. our kids with the multiplication one, they really resonated with that. It really mm -hmm. helped them but when we switched it to division they yeah. just couldn't and honestly their parents didn't know it either so they all do the long it's division and it's just and I'm okay with it that's what their parents know and obviously their parents help them learn that method mm -hmm. so I'm like whatever <laughs> I, I don't care what method as long as, you, do as, long as <laughs> you find one that works so <laughs> exactly well a couple years ago because I had just taken this course um, I used the area square model with one of my high schoolers who couldn't for the life of them do multiplication, double digit multiplication. So I, I showed him this and he's like, this is amazing. And he was able to do it without an issue from that point on. So it That's is awesome. it's that individualized instruction, finding which one works for which student, which is hard as a teacher. Yeah. A few years ago, well, in my, um, when I taught when I'm out last year in a traditional school, my um, I taught third grade and we were just doing basic math back. So I just taught them the first number is how many circles you make. Mm -hmm. And the second number is how many go in each one. And then you count that. up all the ones and he could, and he had been ran over by a car and he <gasps> pronounced dead oh. twice in, in the ambulance before he was one year old. Like it was oh amazing. He was even alive. And furthermore that he wasn't a vegetable. Cause he had mm -hmm. scars all over his head and I just loved and adore him and, and he was able to do it. And I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, I love that so much because I truly believe every student can learn. Like I've taught students with cognitive disabilities all the way up to just very like specific learning disabilities or just, you know, mild autism where they're pretty functioning but I've learned every student can learn maybe they won't always be able to do rocket science of course and not all of them may be 
be wanting to go to college or able to go to college, but we can all continually teach them and have high expectations for them. And I just, I feel so strongly about that. I had a student uh, last year, uh, he was one of my English students. He's like, Miss Fisher, I've never had a teacher teach me any of this. They just gave me worksheets every day to do. And I feel like with this population, and I don't think so much elementary, I hope not, but we just kind of put them to the side and say, okay, you got to just remember this because you're not. And instead, we're not bridging that gap of like, hey, maybe you don't know how to do uh, multiplication, but that does not mean you can't understand algebra. Um, so we got to we gotta have those expectations. And, you know, some of them just may not remember specific skills, and we just teach them how to adapt to that and to use calculators or to use audio or whatever it may be. And so they can apply that to that higher level thinking or, you know, their passions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love all that that you just said. It really resonated with me and the type of teacher that I want to be. I, I want to be teaching my kids to be astronauts if they want to be, you know, like if they want to be an astronaut, I want, I want to be there to help them with that or be helping them at least be ready for that. Cause that's in my opinion, one of the highest, like you got to be super, superman to be an astronaut. Yes. And so I want all my kids to be able to be astronauts and yeah. if they want to be, and I don't want, I don't want to be the one to hold them back. Like that's my right. biggest fear. I, I don't want to be the one standing in their way. Yeah, and by high school, uh, my 11th and 12th graders, you know, sometimes we're, they, with their families, I never discourage it, or I hope I don't, um, but I, I tell them, oh, you want to be a doctor? Well, let's look at other areas as well. You have that goal, but let's see what other things that as well that you're interested in in that area of medicine, because, you know, I mean, honestly, some of these students that being a doctor, if they can't unfortunately do some simple math or simple reading may not be something they can get through all that med school. However, it doesn't mean they can't work in that medical field. They can't maybe be a nurse or they can't be a CPA or medical billing or whatever it may be. And so it's a lot of that job exploration to be like, you know what, doctor's amazing, go for it. However, here's some other areas that you may be interested in and have skills for. So it, it's all correlated together so in case Absolutely. they change their mind. And sometimes I think they just say doctor because they don't know what else is available exactly. so that's really cool that you're at least making them aware so they can yeah. find what they want to do. And that's part of our in, in special education once you hit 14 or 15 um, there's what's called a transition plan where we're preparing students for life after high school so we do look at those post-secondary goals uh, such as where they want to live, how they want to live, uh, what type of job they want, as well as what type of education they, they can have. Because we have students who may you know, be in a group home for the rest of their lives with supportive employment uh, through the state or through an agency. Um, but then we have students who go on to be those doctors or lawyers or whatever they may be. So we got to look at that uh, starting in eighth grade, ninth grade, looking at that field. And a lot of them have no idea what they want to be, which I understand. So we get to explore and it's, it's a lot of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, um, and I love that. Uh, I, that's something I try to do with all my, we do a career fair uh, once every quarter at least. Oh, that's great. And they, we have like 
it's not, I mean, it's like a 45 minute session, but they typically will have two to three professionals that come in and talk about their jobs and their education and what, and, and really it's just about that exploration to just be aware of what's out there because you just never know. But so I really want to find some people who do, my kids love, love Minecraft and, mm-hmm. and video games. And I would love, love to get in contact with some like video game developers and, and talk about, and talk about what they do because if my kid really wants to be a YouTuber or they really want to, like, they love games, like they should be developing yes. them and, and why not? They, I mean, there's a lot of money in there, so why not? So they're just oh, not aware. <laughs> they're just not yeah. aware. And I think what that's what's fun as teachers is now we can bridge like some of our assessments to their career goals. And so if I have kids who are wanting to go to college, you know what, they better be able to write that essay. And so some of the assessments may have to be essay based. However, I have gamers, I have people who want to be YouTubers. I have kids who love like media or mixed media and being able to do art. And so if we differentiate our our assessments, uh, so, you know, maybe they're doing infographics, maybe they're doing a podcast, maybe they're doing a YouTube channel or something. Um, I think we can bring a lot of that in, which is, I think, super fun. And it's amazing. I had one student, he was diagnosed with autism. Um, for his final project and he did this for me a few other times but he loved Legos like it was his passion and so he I'm trying to remember exactly how it was he acted out the story if I remember correctly he made a video using his his Legos and so he loved the movie making of it as well so it was just amazing to Absolutely. see what comes out of love that that is amazing so and I love that you guys gave him the freedom and opportunity to do that. So that's, mm-hmm. that's even, that's incredible on both sides of the coin. So that he had that, not only that he did that, but to that he felt like he could and that you guys gave him the keys to do that. So that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I, I am a strong believer in like differentiation and doing different types of assessments and letting kids show, take their strengths to show what they've learned. I know we can't always do it, um, but I try to do it as much as possible. That's amazing. And the next thing I kind of want to talk about is just special education in the virtual world. Uh, I know it's so different than, well, I know it's the same. And then I know it's, I know it's different. What was something when you came, I know you've been with us for a long time, that so might be hard to remember <laughs> what it might have been like prior to uh, virtual world, but what was something that you were just like, man, I wish I had known. I wish that I would have known this about special education before in the virtual world or what surprised you or, you know, I don't know how to really ask this question, but I'm trying to yeah. just make it broad and, and definitely. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, well, and I did spend five years, five years, I think, uh, previously in a traditional school. I worked in Maryland and Pennsylvania. Um, my first year, I worked with emotional, uh, emotional needs unit um, in middle school, and then I worked with alternative school kids. They were all expelled from their previous schools. I, my heart's really with kids who have um, emotional needs and behaviors and stuff, and then I worked another middle school and a high school. Um, So I kind of had that secondary experience. I think the biggest 
not the difference, but the biggest thing I really have to focus on is bringing the parent into the IEP team, because it is a team, even more than I did necessarily in the brick and mortar, because I had the kid with me for a period or a few periods a day. So I had a really good in that face-to-face -face interactions. So I was more in that way to tell the parent what was going on in my classroom. Well, now the parents turned into that learning coach, and now I have to rely a lot on that parent or that learning coach uh, to give me an update of what study skills are they using, um, what behaviors are they seeing at home, how is their frustration level, those sort of things. And so that's not always easy. Um, some of our times we have students who have behavior needs, and sometimes, I mean, let's be frank, and I, I do it with my own kids, I know how to set them off. Um, sometimes it's that learning environment at home that can bring out some of those behaviors, or I have parents underestimate their children as well, and I can understand that because um, one of my children, young, um, we had to do quite a lot of work with, with that child, um, food therapy, occupational ther therapy, speech and language. So I know as a parent, and you have to understand where they're coming from, they're fighting for that child every day, and it gets exhausting. It's hard. Um, and then you, you don't want to see your child hurt. And so pushing your child can, you know, bring out those tears or bring out some of that frustration. And by the time maybe elementary or middle or high school, they're kind of tired. So it's, it's having that relationship even more so with the parent in the virtual world than maybe previously in the traditional school. Um, so when you're on these IEPs, they are almost always done online, either through the uh, Blackboard or on the phone. So you really have to be cognizant of your tone, the way you're phrasing things, how much positive you're giving to them. Because on the other end, it's hard. Sometimes they're crying. Sometimes they've had a bad day. Um, they're in their home where, you know, where I've had people who's uh, had a death in the family the day before. So you just have to be really careful about how you present things, which I found in traditional school was a little bit easier to do. And so I think that was the biggest, the biggest thing I've learned doing this for so long is to really try to be so upbeat, so encouraging, positive, and, have, and not be afraid to have those hard discussions, but making sure that you're doing it in an appropriate way. Absolutely, tone is key in I remember my first year here, people just thought I was angry, like, all the time. And oh, no. Like, I'm smiling. <laughs> like, yeah. But they didn't see me smiling. And so even though you might, and that, that's, I started using my webcam all the time now. And now mm -hmm. when I'm in class and it's not on, I'm like, I feel almost naked. Like, I just feel <laughs> yes. wrong. But I realized that body, body language is is like 50% of the conversation and so mm -hmm. it doesn't but tone is key I, I do say I do totally agree with that but there were times where I like I purposely was trying to sound upbeat and then I still had parents think I was being like hateful oh, I was no. like all right no it's we're not so <laughs> we're so turning on this webcam now from all the time it's on all the time except when uh -huh. I give them think time and I turn it off then because I just want to be quiet and I don't want to be a distraction as well from yeah. them thinking and, and solving the problems. But, but you're right. It's that's 
that's so yeah powerful and such wise words that we we don't know they're they really are they're always been parents have always been the expert of their kids but Mm -hmm. as we all know kids can act differently in a different environment like in a traditional school so yes you're able to kind of speak more than the parent can because they're not in that school setting um but in here in our world that's absolutely they are there 24 7 they are not only the experts for them outside of school but for school as well and yeah so Yeah, they take on a lot. And I think uh, it's so important. And again, I have that unique position where I really get to know these families. I usually have them for four years. Some of them, they're on my, uh, what I call my caseload, the students who I'm in charge of their IEPs and progress and all that good stuff. But they're also my English class for four years sometimes. So it's just developing that relationship. Yeah, it's super awesome. So developing that relationship is key. I mean, it's just, I, there's just so many, it's just amazing the relationships I've been able to create with family. Sometimes I learn way too much and I turn into the therapist, like they think I'm their therapist, I guess. So it might be a and 45. And I think that's because we can sometimes be in their home. You know what I mean? Like we are yeah. literally in their house when they're schooling. So, I, and mm-hmm. I, I've noticed that too. That I learned things that I might have not have learned if I had been in traditional school, just because I would have been outside of their walls, but because they're literally bringing us inside of their walls, I feel like they feel, and it's fine. Like most of the time it's fine and and eye-opening and and so valuable data, if you will. But yeah, I think that's, that's what I think. Oh, I agree. (laughs) I think that relationship in the virtual world, regardless if a student's in special education or not is vital to their success because I feel like if a family and a student knows you believe in them is open to working with them that communication is pieces there um, you know you're, you're not just behind some screen you're a real life person who cares about them you know they're gonna go to the moon for you most of the time or you're gonna help them get to the moon if you need to uh, it's it's that relationships vital I couldn't agree more with that. And I love that I looped one year with my, when I was in a traditional school. So that, that next year, that second year that I had them was so easy at the mm-hmm. very beginning. And so I can't imagine having, I mean, I can, I can imagine the glory <laughs> and the beautifulness of having the same kids for four years. Like that would be amazing. So but it is. And it's not every time. I mean, we have a high, I mean, we have, oh, no, I know it's not every yeah. single kid, but, but I do have a good, yeah. I, for my caseload, especially it, it's fun. It's, it's awesome. I love that. And we have, and so in Oklahoma, we have a SPED teacher for every, well, we did one just recently. Um, she, she left us, uh, and mm-hmm. I won't, yeah, it's sad, so I won't get into it, and, oh, but it was really sad, but we used to have a, a direct instruction teacher for every single grade, and a, oh, and a wow. sped, special education teacher that did, like, the monitoring collaboration part of um, those, those environments, um, and yeah, so it's been amazing, but then I also think, wouldn't it be cool if those kids those teachers stayed with their kids and just kept rotating Mm -hmm. but at the same time um when in elementary there's two so there's two certifications so for that to happen they have to be certified both 
in early childhood and in um and in just elementary so which I refuse to get my early childhood because I don't want anyone to force me to teach anything so (laughs) I don't want anyone to do that so but yeah that's I mean that would still be really amazing if that could happen so yeah and and it's it's fun because I feel like special education like it's a mystery you're a detective trying to figure out what works for each of those students and it is trial and error um and there's a trust there and so it, it, it can take a long time to establish some of those relationships or figure out what's going on. Like for some stupid reason, it just dawned on me. I don't know why. Um, I was having a student. He's one of my 12th graders. Uh, he has a language impairment. And I'm like, why is he struggling with math so much? And then it's like, well, Becky, you're an idiot. Like it's word problems he's struggling with because he's that vocabulary and the language yeah. is just having a hard time processing it. So once I meet with him and he's realized it himself, cause he didn't realize it, you know, then he knows when to ask questions or I know to explain things a little bit more to him or he talks it out loud to himself until he, he has a good idea of it. So, you know, it, it's problem or problem solution you're just you're a detective trying to figure out what is going on in this kid's head and that's so key I was just actually talking to my kids about that today because we transitioned from this division to word problem division and I said this is real world like this is what you're rarely ever going to just be given a division problem to do in your real life mm-hmm. and so but I might but it's challenging because it's reading too and so you're you're taking like these two parts of your brain, both sides of your brain and trying to put them together. And that's really, that could be a struggle. And, um, and really what I was just trying to accomplish with them is just that awareness that, Hey, this is going to be challenging and Hey, we can't overcome this because we have to, because it's real world. This is what I'm going to be dealing with when we did like a baker problem. And one of my kids wants to be a baker. So I was like, this is relevant to your job, but it could like for your future or your future career, but we could change this from cookies to scalpels or, um, mm-hmm. you know, or pets and um, that you have to see in your veterinary clinic, you know, like it, it could be anything. And, but yeah, That's so knowing fun. I that, love it so much. Knowing that we're coming to the end of our time, I am fully aware that I ask a lot of questions, but I also am also fully aware that I there's questions that I didn't ask. Um, Mm -hmm. But is there anything that you wish that, wish to share or wish that I had asked and want to, and want to talk about it? Just, just kind of leaving that open to you. Oh, thanks. Um, I think the biggest thing is we need to look at these students as individuals. Um, I've had, at least in the secondary level, I think we have a lot of teachers, I don't think it's so much K through five, that are like, you know what, this is the law, this is how it's done, and look at accommodations and modifications as something that's giving them an edge up. Whereas in reality, those accommodations, which are those little extras you give them, um, where like that extra extended time, or goodness off my head I'm being an idiot it's Friday like afternoon but um, no it's like yeah the calculator the like prompt the screen turning on task <laughs> yep audio <laughs> accommodations you know all that is bridging the gap where modifications is you're actually changing that curriculum expectations because of their skill level and that usually happens for students who are 
particularly low in that skill, that they need that vacation, that differentiation in that curriculum to meet uh, their their grade level. Um, but these are bridges for these students to be able to close that gap for them. And some of them, some of those accommodations may need to be there forever. If a student's dyslexic and the fluency is really low, he or she will always do better with that audio and, and with our technology today. I mean, it's amazing what these students can do and the access they have to all these amazing things like speech to text. Um, but it's not something to give them the, the get up above the students, but it's re really to bridge them to that peers, to their peers in that general education class. And so these students need it. And sometimes we forget that, and I, I'm guilty of that as well. I'm like, well, why do they need it? They're doing fine. But then I take it away, and you can see where that deficit is, that need is. And so I think as all K-12 teachers, we need to accept that these students are individuals. And to teach them, I always think of how would I want my child to be taught? And so I really tried to take that into account when I'm working with these students is, you know what, that's someone's child. And I want my children to be taught in an appropriate way and have their needs met as well. And so I need to be doing that for these parents' children. Um, I'm just so passionate about that. And I think the other thing is, uh, and this is maybe more secondary, but I know it happens in K through five. I, this past year, I've done a lot of studying on the trauma and how much it impacts the brain. And that trauma can be, you know, I had a student um, sleeping in her house and a car ran into her room and hit her when she was three years old. So there's that type of physical trauma, but there's also the broken families or economic stress or, you know, a whole bunch of other serious things and how that impacts that brain and how that then they react to schooling in a different way. And this is for special education and non-special education students, but I'm getting more and more students uh, enrolling in virtual school who do have anxiety and depression. And to really understand how the brain learns when you experience anxiety and uh, depression or long-going stress, uh, whether it could be family stress, economic stress, whatever it may be, it definitely makes that impact. And so I think it's really helped me to understand my own students better, especially those with emotional needs, and to be able to provide a better education for themselves. So I just think there's always stuff to learn, which is so fun. And there's so much to special education that it's always, I mean, it's my 17th year, and every day I learn something new, and I just love that so much. I love that too. I love everything that you just said. Um, thank you so much for, for talking to me about that. I learned so much from you. Uh, I'm going to definitely make like a list of resources that basically any of my kids can use. Uh, not just, not just special education students, like the, the weighted blanket and the ball and stuff like that. But I was going to talk just real quick about like how you were talking about how the teachers were might or people in general might just see these kids as having a leg up when re reality they're trying to bridge we're just trying to bridge the gap something mm -hmm. that I do is during state testing because our kids can have uh text read to, uh whatever what why can't I remember right now uh text to speech and yes. uh and so what I do is all the laptops 
uh, come with headphones regardless. So I mm-hmm. just pass out the headphones to everyone and I tell them to put it on and they're like, but it's not going to, and I'm like, it's not, it may or may not read to you, but the fact is, is that it'll help you not be distracted by others exactly. and you'd rather used to wearing headphones anyway. So oh, oh, that's perfect. So trying to just make sure that you know, even though there are kids that might have it read to them, I've noticed that they won't use it if they feel like everyone else notices. And yes. that's, that's my way. Maybe, maybe those kid, other kids don't see, may, they may see it as a leg up and not fair, but now they don't know. <laughs> they don't know who's getting it read to them and who isn't. So, because they all no, have and it. I- I love that. And I think as parents, even the more we teach our children that everyone has strengths and everyone has needs, then, you know, hopefully our community can come more together, regardless of you have a disability or the way you look or whatever it may be, that we're all different, but we all have things in common and we all have, hey, I'm super good at this, but I'm terrible at this. Um, And we all have that. So some of them are more apparent than others. But I think the more we can teach our children that, you know what, we should love everyone and we all have those strengths and all have those needs. And I'm just repeating myself, I know. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I that, mean, like it goes with uh, my, one of my years. Of te- I wish I could do this virtually, but I don't know how. But one of my first years teaching, I did this Band-Aid thing. I told them they had to come up with this crazy, like, injury that they had and they had to come up to me and tell me where it's at and they would point to like their foot or their head or whatever but I would put the band-aid on the same place for every single kid oh wow and they were like that's not fair that's not where my boo is I'm like I'm sorry this this is uh I'm like but it is fair you know this this is the standard of everyone's gonna get the same thing they're gonna get the band-aid the same place and then they Mm -hmm. came to this realization that's not fair fair is getting what you need and I'm like and that's I love that. that's exactly it like uh, this kid might need more support here where you might not and so I haven't quite figured out how to do that vir- this that yeah. kind of idea virtually I, mean, I wonder if they take a picture of themselves and put it on the board maybe I don't know <laughs> and tell them to put the band like everyone bring a band-aid and I'm right. like, to put it on the same place on their arm and so and they're like, that's not where my, that's not where it's at. But yeah. it was just kind of like, I can't, the point, like when I did it, I put the band-aid on. Like I, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So uh, if, if you come up with an idea, please tell me. Because <laughs> although I don't know if my kids have that issue, no one's like said that's not fair mm-hmm. or anything in this world. But I'm more concerned about when they're together and like a state yes area and you see the differences instead of worrying about hey that kid's just getting what he needs as opposed to that's unfair you know like that's, mm-hmm. that's so well I uh, thank you so much for talking to me today I so thank appreciate you, you. I don't know about you but I'm so incredibly grateful for Becky I need more Becky in my life she reminded me so much of the things that I used to do like the TheraBand on the bottom of the chair or the way to blanket things like that to keep their kids feet moving (laughs) so that way their brains aren't moving and can focus on what we're trying to teach them she also reminded me to focus on the whole child not just their academic needs because as she said working on something for three hours that's not fun is exhausting so let's try to make it fun 
And then also she finally, last thing, she reminded me that I can incorporate my science and history into my small group lessons. So I'm killing two birds with one stone and helping them with those scary things. So again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned so much from Becky. I know I did. And head on over to our social medias and share the things that Becky taught you. What ideas are you using with your special education students? How can we support our students better and focus on the fun as well as the needs? So again, thank you. As always, remember, be brave, take a risk, but also have fun. Bye, guys.